We're going to look in Ephesians 3 this morning, and I do covet your prayers. And uh, We've started uh, several, I guess, months ago and, and studying through the book of Ephesians, and uh, I've enjoyed it. I hope you have as well. And uh, where we're at, chapter 3 is kind of parenthetical chapter. Chapters 1 and 2 are doctrinal, and then chapter 4 and to the end is, is practical about our walk. And then chapter 3 is kind of in between both, and it kind of links them together. And uh, we're going to begin reading verse number 8. And if you're able and will, would you stand with us this morning out of respect to the Word of God? The Bible says this in verse number 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men to see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Father, I pray you would touch me this morning. Lord, as the kids sang, I pray, Lord, you'd pass by again. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us all. And Father, I know we're living in a dark time in this world's history, and it seems like things are just uh, wheeling and rocking and, and, and moving at such a fast pace, but I pray for a little while, Lord, you'd slow everything down. And Lord, that you'd help us to turn our eyes upon thee. And I pray, God, that as I preach, you'd preach. And I pray, God, that the words that come from my mouth, Lord, that they would have an effect upon the hearts of those that hear. Lord, I pray if there's one lost here today, I pray you'll convict them. I pray, oh God, that before they leave uh, this morning, that they would know uh, what the unsearchable riches of Christ are. And I pray for those that are saved this morning that, Lord, you would stir our hearts up, that, that we, Lord, that people like us have come into such a high and holy knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, I love you. I thank you for allowing me to preach. I pray, God, you'd help me do it in such a way to please, uh, to please you and honor you and glorify you. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Verse number 8 is where... We'll find our thought for the message this morning. And the Bible says this, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And that's what I'm going to try to preach on this morning. Truth be told, I could preach from now until the day I die, and I could not even begin to uh, describe and explain and uh, magnify the unsearchable riches of Christ. In fact, whenever someone endeavors to do this, uh, uh, you got to understand that word unsearchable means untraceable, untrackable. And, uh, uh, and what he was saying here and, and, and what he's implying here is that the riches that are found in Jesus Christ cannot be traced, they cannot be tracked, they cannot be found by natural man. 
Did you know that every day, uh, every day in, um, a, a, that goes by that there's people, billions of dollars are spent day after day in, in, in trying to exp, uh, discover and to find new truth and to find, and, and by the way, not all of that's bad. I thank God that somebody got a kite and put a key on it, amen, and flew it up in the air and found electricity, aren't you? And I'm sorry for the ones that had to go without for a few this weekend. I don't know what it is. I guess we've got reinforced power lines around here. I'm, and I'm not superstitious, but I'm going to hit on the pulpit. But, but you understand, I thank God that, that, uh, that man has found over the history of man, they have discovered things that were world-changing truths. They found uh, about, I was reading about the atom and how for a long time they thought it was just a solid mass. And then they started realizing there was parts to that atom. And then they realized there was parts to the parts of that atom. And inside of those atoms, it's like a solar system uh, spinning and moving and all that. But listen to me, all the money and all the education and all the time that has been spent. And what are they trying to figure out? They're trying to figure out where we come from. They're trying to figure out where we are. And they're trying to figure out where we're headed. I've got news for you. You can spend all the money. You can spend all the time you want. And those that the riches, those riches that Christ has, you cannot find them through natural means. Paul writes the church at Ephesus here and reminds them and, and uh, exhorts them that they have come into the knowledge, they have come in uh, to the possession of the unsearchable riches of Christ. How many people live their entire life straining and trying and, 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 and thinking and, and meditating and and working to try to understand where we were from and where we are and where we're going, and they die with more questions than answers. But the truth is, when you meet Jesus, you found the answer to it all. Amen. He shows us where we were. He shows us where we are, and He shows us where we'll soon be. I also look here in these verses, and that's my thought this morning, the unsearchable riches of Christ. I'm going to say if you took all the wealth of the world, of all the men, uh, you know, money, of course, is going down in value. So I, I guess pretty soon being a millionaire would be like making your first $100. I don't know that the rate is going, but I remember used to, if somebody's a millionaire, that's a big deal. You know, my daddy, he's about, uh, he's about as smooth as sandpaper, and, and we'd go to a restaurant somewhere, and he'd be eating, and he'd get his napkin and say, there's a millionaire over there. You know, he, he'll look at you. He thinks if you cover your mouth, they don't know you're talking about him. If you ever see my dad looking at you, know this. He's talking about you. <laughs> He'd say, there's a millionaire. There's a millionaire. And uh, uh, that used to be a big deal. But did you know that if you took all the money, if you took Be Bezos or whatever his name is, and, and if you took Bill Gates, and if you took uh, 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 Elon Musk, and you took all these people in the world that are so wealthy, Arthur Blank, and uh, what's his name out there, uh, Warren Buffett, you know, and, uh, and uh, all, if you took all that they have and you put it all together, they would all be beggars compared to what the Lord Jesus Christ is and what the Lord Jesus Christ has. And what Paul is saying is if you're saved, you have, become a, you have become rich because you have discovered these riches that are in Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that he that was rich for our sakes became poor 
that we through his poverty might be made rich. Now, uh, I could, again, a man could, I could preach on this a little while and, and then Brother Aaron could preach on a little while and Brother Zeke and, and uh, Brother Dylan and we could get Brother Mike and Brother Gossam. We could get, and we could call in evangelists and we could call in other pastors and we could have you, we could all go on and on and on and never exhaust the riches of Christ. And by the way, we're just skimming the surface. We're, there's so much more that we've not found. There's so much more that we don't understand. But I'm glad I've got all eternity to figure it out. Amen. I believe eternity is going to be like that. I do. I, I believe that every day it's going to be something new and something amazing and something that, I mean, every time we turn a corner, we're going to think, oh my, look at there. And uh, oh my, I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. I just, that's just the way I think. Maybe you think it's going to be boring. I think it's going to be exciting. Maybe you think it's going to be, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. Uh, you, you know, you have your right to your opinion. I got my right to mine. Uh, but I do know right here, I'm just going to give you three things here about the, the unsearchable riches of Christ. The first thing is this, we see the, unsear, uh, the unsearchable riches of Christ in the, cha- in the change in a man. Look in verse 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given? Who's writing this? The Apostle Paul. Paul says, unto me, unto me, um, unto me. And Paul said in uh, Romans 7, oh, wretched man that I am. Paul said, unto me, this has been given. Unto me, I've uh, come to this understanding. He has given me this grace, this knowledge, this uh, understanding. And it is uh, into this, these riches in Christ. And I want you to know this morning, the unsearchable riches of Christ are demonstrated. Uh, they're found in the change that the Lord makes in a man or a woman's life. Uh, when you see the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, he's not the same man that he was before he met Jesus. The change in a man. You can study. You can investigate. You can calculate. You can try to come up with algorithms and, and equations and try to write it out and try to figure it out. But no matter how hard you try, you're not going to be able to figure it out on how God can take a sinner, I mean a hell-bound sinner, and how He can save them and change their desires and change their attitude and uh, change their whole life and, and put them in a new direction. And I believe in the changing of a man's life, we see evidence of the unsearchable Riches of Christ. You know, all of us weren't in, uh, this ain't where we always were. What I'm saying is, there's a lot of people on Sunday morning, I mean, you wouldn't have been in church, especially with ice on the ground. I mean, you wouldn't have been in church. Uh, you would have been somewhere else. You would have been doing something else. Uh, but the fact is that, that we have witnessed, I have witnessed in my life, the riches of Christ and changing a man. Look at the history of this man, Paul. If you want to, you can look in Acts chapter 8. Now when he writes Ephesians chapter 3, he's incarcerated in chains for preaching the gospel. Acts chapter 8, I may have referenced this the last time I preached, I don't know, but same truths are found on every page of the Bible. Amen. I'm not looking for new truth, but anyhow, 
The Bible says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death. That's talking about Stephen. And that time there was a great persecution against the church, was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Unto me, he said, unto me is this grace given. You say, who's that me? He's the same one in Acts chapter 8 that is taking men and women and putting them in prison and locking them up. He said, he said, unto me. Oh, listen, aren't you glad that God will use the least likely people to do the most unusual things and the most amazing things? And, and God doesn't have to pick the one the world wants. In fact, He picks the one the world don't want. The Lord's works in a mysterious ways, His wonders to perform. The Lord's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And Paul said, unto me, unto me, a murderer, unto me, a God-hater, a Jesus-hater, a church-hater. He said, unto me. The history of this man, Paul had about a bad a past as a man could have. I mean, listen, have you ever had been in church and someone testified and said, I thank the Lord, He saved me. I, was a, I, I killed Christians before I got saved. I hope you could forgive them because that's what the church done for Paul, but I believe it's understandable why they were a little nervous about it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'd be like, all right, brother, Justin, I got you a new person to sit next to. Amen. But the truth of the matter is, that's who he was. Paul had a wretched past. But I got news for you. We've all got the same past too. This is where I never killed a Christian. You may not with your fists, but the Jesus said, if you hate, if you hate in your heart, you're a murderer already. I'm saying this, you may not have you may not have thrown a rock and stone, Stephen, but before you got saved, you were guilty of, of, of breaking this very same law that Paul was. Romans 5, 12, Wherefore is by one man sinning in the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for all that have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam Moses, even to them that, that, that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is a figure of him that was to come. You say, what is that saying? That's saying that we all had a bad past. You understand? I don't care if it's a four-year-old, five-year-old child, or a 40 or 50-year-old man or woman. If we're born of man, if you're born of man and woman, you've got a sin nature. You've got the same sinful desires. You've got the same. I'm saying that we see the unsearchable riches of Christ and how he changes man. You look at the history of man, it's not good. It's not good. I really don't understand how people believe in this, you know, evolution. And I'm not talking about just the monkey to the tadpole to the people. I'm talking about they believe that like, you know, we're going to make this like the Catholics teach this kingdom teaching that we're going to make the world a better place and it's going to all of a sudden become this utopia and we're going to usher in this millennial age of peace and all that. I got news, it's not turning that way. But instead, you study the history of man and you find that we've been making the same mistakes over and over and over. And not only are we making the same mistakes, we're making them in a, in a greater measure. 
But listen to me, aren't you glad that doesn't keep us from knowing the unsearchable riches of Christ? Aren't you glad that our history, what we've done, where we've been, what we've been a part of, what we've been involved with, uh, the things that we've said, the things that we've thought, the things that we've done. Uh, listen, aren't you glad there's a God who's able to change man, who can take someone with a dreadful past and make a difference in their life? Change in the man, we see the unsearchable riches of Christ. The history of this man now, if you want to look at Acts 9, I want you to see there's the help of this man. What help, Paul? You know, Saul, he was the, the next big thing. In fact, he was already on the Sanhedrin court at a young age. He had been raised and trained at the feet of Gamaliel. Who was, I mean, I don't know what you would equate it to. You just, whoever the, 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 the most respected uh, philosopher and, and, and professor, you take whoever that is, I don't even have a clue. But if you were to take the, the most uh, revered educator in the world and said, all right, you're going to train this man right here one-on-one. You're going to, he's your student. That's who Paul was trained by. He was a Pharisee, the Pharisee, a Hebrew, Hebrew. I mean, listen, he was uh, uh, circumcised from the eighth day. Uh, he was spotless concerning the law, but he was a sinner on his way to hell. And he couldn't help himself. He couldn't save himself. You know all that killing Christians. He didn't do it because he liked to kill. He thought he was doing a service to God. He thought that by killing them, it was somehow going to give him some type of righteousness, some type of earned salvation. But Brother Larry, I can imagine him as a young man laying in bed hearing them people crying and seeing their faces as they died. And he realized it wasn't making things better. It was just making things worse. Acts chapter 9, he says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, and if he found any this way. Amen. And they find love this way, aren't you? And by the way, there's just one way. Amen. There's just one way. Amen. There's just one way. It's the Lord. He said, I'm the way. And, and he said, they were this way. And he desired letters. And it says this, whether they be men or women, it didn't matter to Paul. It didn't bother him to kill a woman or a man. It didn't bother him at all. And, he, and, and then it says this, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly, amen, there shined right round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? I know I've said this before, but Saul never laid a lick on Jesus' body. He never, he didn't drive nails in his hands and his feet. Saul didn't plant that crown of thorns upon his brow. Saul did not rip the garments from Jesus' back. But yet Jesus said, why persecutest thou me? You will know why? Because when someone lays hands on the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his mind, it's the same as them laying their hands on him. Amen. It's just like any of us men that have wives. If somebody were to hurt your wife, it's no different. It's probably worse than if they hurt you. Amen? And, uh, and that's the way the Lord views it. 
I got news. These people railing on the church now and, and persecuting the church. I saw last week, I believe it was in Ottawa, there was a church there and it was minus five degrees and they were outside. They wouldn't let them go inside the church to have church. And I, and listen to me, I salute these people. I do. I admire them. I admire their faith and perseverance. They were sitting out there. And I mean, they had on them fur hats and coats and they were having church in snow. I'm talking about a foot and a half deep snow and lawn chairs all because they told them they couldn't go in that church. All I'm saying is everybody that ever lays a hand on the church, everybody that ever persecutes it, they always come out on the wrong side of Jesus. Yeah. Saul said, Saul, Saul, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That shows, and, and, and I, I, this wasn't in my notes, but I'll just get, people, there's these Calvinists say you can't resist salvation. They call it irresistible grace. I got news, that's what Paul was doing. Pulling against those pricks. What he's talking about is when they had those yoke on ox, and those yoke on them oxen, they put wood spikes going this way, and, and, uh, and uh, whoever was driving them ox, if they pulled this way and pulled that, them spikes uh, into, their, uh, into their neck and, and them ox would start kicking. They put them on their haunches too in the back. I don't know if that's called haunches, is it? I don't know. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but but they, and, and, and what the Lord was telling Paul, he said, you're kicking against, you're resisting my... God was pulling on him. He was drawing him. I believe when he watched Stephen die, I believe with all my heart the Holy Ghost convicted his heart. And when he saw Stephen lift his head up to heaven and say, Father, forgive him. Uh, for, and I believe when he heard Stephen said, I see Jesus. I see him standing on the right hand of the Father. I believe it. And, and the Lord said, it's hard. It's hard for thee. And can, is, am I the only one that can remember kicking against the pricks, resisting the convicting power of God? Pulling against it, trying to bow, bow and trying to pull and trying to uh, get away from it. And, and listen to me, the Jesus said, Saul, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And he says this, I'm Jesus. And he trembled and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Lord said, Arise and go to the city, it shall be told thee what thou must do. I said a lot to say this. What helped Saul was a meeting with Jesus Christ. You know what will help you? A meeting with Jesus Christ. You know what people need? They need a meeting with Jesus Christ. They need to meet him. You say, But I'm hurting. He's not here no more. Oh, yes, he is. He's here. He's here. This, you understand me? He's here through the person of the Holy Ghost. And, and, and by the way, as His church, He indwells us. And He expects us to be His hands and His eyes and His feet and His heart and to share this unsearchable, amazing love with others. I tell you what helps all is the same thing that helped me. Uh, he was on his way. He was going his way. He was doing what he wanted to do. He was doing what he thought was right. But the Lord cut him off. Amen. Uh, the Lord cut him off in the middle of the road. And he said, Saul, you don't need to go this way no more. And Saul said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Uh, there's some debate when Saul got saved. I believe he got saved right there. I do. Amen. Uh, but anyhow, we could argue that for a long time. But 
He, when he gave his testimony, he never went and said, well, I was getting baptized over there. He never gave testimony, but brother, every time he gave us to, he talked about the Damascus Road. The Damascus Road. The Damascus Road. I'd probably give my testimony 10,000 times. And I was baptized by immersion. Amen. I'm talking about all the way under every drop of water cup. But I got news. I ain't never stood up and said, I thank the Lord. Hey, for the day I got baptized, it changed my life. I've never been the same. I want to tell you what changed my life. Uh, December 31st, 1998, uh, when the Lord cut me off, I was on the wrong road. I was headed to hell. Uh, just like Saul. Uh, but he cut me off and said, you need to go another way. That helped him. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.12, For the which cause also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. He said, For I know whom I have believed. Amen. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Oh, listen to me. There's nothing wrong in a person's life that meeting Jesus can't make right. You understand? I believe that. I still do. I know some don't, but I still believe that He can help a drug addict. I believe He can help a drunkard. I believe He can help a fornicator, a murderer, a liar, a thief. I believe He can help them all if they'll just meet them in the way. They're saying, He says unto me, who unless than the least of all saints, the humility of this man. Now, I may be done here, I don't know. When it comes to the, the world we live in, you know, the one you can see, touch, you know, where you work, things like that, it's the longer a person works and the more a person has, and the more they accomplish, the more pride they have. That's natural. You know, I mean, I believe that's natural. But Paul, the longer he served God, the less pride he had. The less pride he had. And that's evidence of the riches of Christ working in his life. Now, now, now let me help you with something. Paul, when he was Saul, had a pride problem. You say, how do you know? Well, I don't know if this verse is right. I know it's in Romans 7. It's somewhere there in the first 10 verses of Romans. Paul said, I would not know. He said, but the law, who said, I didn't understand I was a sinner until I heard the law say, thou shalt not covet. Now, you know what coveting is? Coveting is wanting what somebody else has for yourself. Coveting is wanting somebody else's possessions, somebody else's uh, uh, job, somebody else's whatever. And Paul said, what he was saying in Romans 7 is, my problem, my sin was covetousness. Now, you say, how's that connected to pride? What causes me or you or any of us to covet? What causes me to think that I deserve something Drew has more than Drew does? Pride. Pride. And, and you know, Paul, all I'm saying is the Lord fixed his pride problem when he said, he said, I'm the least, I'm less than least. Now, now look, turn with me real quick in 1 Corinthians 15. I'll show you something. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 
9. This is early on in his ministry. He says, for I am the least of the apostles. Now, we know Paul was an apostle, and I'm not going to get into that. There are no more apostles. There's not been another apostle since John the beloved died. He was the last of the apostles. And anyhow, there's several qualifications. An apostle, they had to see Jesus in the body. And Paul seen him on the master's road. But here he says, I'm the least of the apostles. Now, I'm not, we're not having a vote. We're not having a popularity contest. We're not, we're not doing that because I don't believe the work of God. You're supposed to have number one, number two. You understand? I don't like, I mean, I used to be about, bad about this and I'm, and I'm praying, but I don't like when people talk about their favorite preachers or the faith because really if somebody's do, if they're in the will of God and they're doing the best they can, we ought to love them the same and appreciate them the same and encourage them the same. But Paul said, if we were going to choose, if we said, all right, of all the apostles, which one had the greatest impact on the world? I believe the Apostle Paul did. He wrote half the New Testament. Did y'all know that? I mean, he started, he, re, he, had the, he preached the gospel of the grace of God to the Gentiles. I'm telling you, if it wasn't for Paul, we never would have been saved. But when he looked at himself, he said, I'm the least of the apostles. Now that's enough for me, but let's look over here in... Um, well, we read in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm not going to make you read again, but you can turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 3, he said, I'm the least of all saints. The least of all saints. Now, I'm guilty of this. We're all guilty of this. We've all said this. Boy, she is just a saint. Or boy, he was just a saint. I got news. If you get saved, I'm talking about born again, you're a saint. Where saint means set apart, set aside. That's what happens when you get saved. You get set aside. You're placed in the body of Christ. You're, you're baptized in the Christ. So what the Bible talks about, 1 Corinthians, and you're a saint. Everybody that saves is a saint. Now think of all the people you know that were saved. Now, and myself, I can think of a lot of saints that I'd put Paul ahead of. You know what I'm saying? I'd, I'd say me. If, if Paul walked in, Brother Larry... Brother Larry, Brother Larry is a fine Christian man. He is, he's a saint. I mean, by the Bible, but he's lived for God. He's been faithful to God. He's taught the Word of God. He's led singing. He's done everything that's ever been asked. But Brother Larry, if, if Paul walked in, you'd probably get up and let him have your seat, wouldn't you? If Paul walked in, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going I'm to get out of the way. I'm not going to preach with Paul in the room. If Paul shows up, Paul's preaching. But listen to what he said. He said, I'm the least of all apostles. But then he said, now, he said, you see, he's not going higher up. He's going lower down. He said, now I'm the least of all saints. Then look over here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. Now, this is later on in his life. Now, in the natural world, it goes like this and like this and like this. But in the spiritual world, the longer you live for God, the longer you serve God, and the more you become like Jesus. What did Jesus do? He humbled himself. 
Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And the longer you live, Paul, he said at first, I'm the least of all the apostles. He said in Ephesians 3, I'm the least of all saints. But now he goes even further in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. He said, I'm the chief of all sinners. We see the humility of this man. You know what the Bible says in 1 John? I don't know if this makes sense to y'all. It's made sense to me. 1 John 2, it says all that in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Now, Brother Willard, you say the lust of the flesh is what you do as a young person. The lust of the eye is what you do in the middle age part of life. And then the pride of life is what you battle in the end of life. Because when we get to the end of life, we want to look around and see what we've done. We want to look around and acknowledge what we've done, acknowledge what we've accomplished, acknowledge what we've been able to achieve with our life. But the Bible tells us that Paul was not that way. The longer he lived and the closer he got to the Lord, the lower he become. And listen to me, I've got news. The key to being blessed by God is not to see how high you can climb, but to see how low you can get down before Him and realize that we're all nothing without Him. If it wasn't for Him, we wouldn't be and that's exactly that was the change that was made in this man's life the change of a man turn back to Ephesians 3 the unsearchable riches of Christ has seen the change of a man then he goes on to say that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery we see the, unrich, the unsearchable riches of Christ and the change in a man. But not only that, we see the unsearchable riches of Christ and the challenge of our mission. You say, what do you mean, Brother Martin? We have a mission. What is our mission? To make all men see the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's a job. That's a hard job. But did you know, listen to me, I believe with all my heart that as we try or as we endeavor to make him known then we know him better you understand what i'm saying dude i believe that as we go along the way as we uh, as we try to make all men to see the more we try to make them see the better we see the more we try to make him known the better we know and all i'm saying is there's a lot of people that know very little about the unsearchable riches of christ because they're not interested they're not concerned they don't even care whether anybody else knows about it or not you remember over there in the book of kings them lepers Everybody was starving, dying, and they and they stumbled up upon this town, and they looked, and everybody was dead, and there was there was loaf bread and, and red top milk and cereal and bacon. No, they didn't eat bacon, but you know what I'm saying. There was food everywhere. Now them lepers had been mistreated their whole life. They were treated like outcasts. They weren't even allowed to go in the temple. They 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 were they were putting in a out. I mean, they were they they absolutely were treated like animals their whole life. But you know what they said? They said it's not good for us. Just just to sit here and enjoy this when we've got our brothers and sisters that are starving to death. They said, we've got to go back and tell them. We've got to go and let them know. And I've got news. It's not right for us to sit in here and enjoy the unsearchable riches of Christ when there's a world all around us on their way to hell. The mission, what's our mission? To make all men see. Amen. The condition of man 
He said, the Gentiles, the Gentiles, these were pagans, idol worshipers, the base and immoral men and women, people who hated the Jews and hated their book. Jesus said, those are the ones I want you to make see. You say, Brother Martin, I've got a hard case. I've got a hard person that's not, they don't want to see. They, by the way, you can't make them see if they don't want to see. You can't force them to see. I remember me and my brother used to, man, we were hard on my sister. We really were. I, I mean, I, I feel like I reap every day some things we did, but I remember she was scared. She was scared of her own shadow. Mary Beth was. And I mean, you could just say boo, and she'd holler and scream and carry on. She's always been a big baby, still is today. Never no offense, Mary Beth. But anyhow, me and my brother one time, that Freddy Cougar was on, and, uh, and uh, we got her down and we held her eyes open. And tried to make her watch that. I mean, we was trying. I'm not Drew. You y'all don't do this. I, God, Jesus forgave me of all that. It's under the blood. Praise His dear name. Oh, hallelujah. It's gone as far as the east is from the west. Just buried in the sea of forgiveness. But I'm telling you, as hard as me and John tried, we couldn't make her. You know what she done? She just rolled her eyes up in her head. So I got to claw and trying to pull it. Now I'm just kidding. <laughs> But you can't make somebody see. But I'm telling you who God's called us to go, the Gentiles. He says this, the condition. But listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Sin manifests itself differently in every individual. But it's got the same root. Everyone's got the same root. And what happens to me, what happens to you, is we get so disgusted by the fruit that we just kind of dismiss it. But the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, we can't help people. It doesn't matter what the fruit is. Whether it be a foul mouth or whether it be alcoholism or whether it be abuse or, or, or lying or stealing, however it is, they've got the same problem. They've got, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. They've got the same problem for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They've got the same problem, Isaiah 53 and 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But thank God the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all the condition of man that's why it's a challenge <laughs> I believe if Jesus was here today on this earth I believe he'd go to the roughest places that's what he did when he was on earth <laughs> that pool of Bethesda wasn't a good place that was where the sick the halt the maimed the blind the decrepit the, 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 the deformed the defiled, that's where they went. That's where Jesus was always going. He was trying to find them. Listen to me. I, I mean, I believe we need to try to reach all people, but I'm afraid that a lot of times we got in our mind these candidates for the grace of God. And we get, they've got to fix, they got to fit our, uh, uh, our projection. You know, right now, uh, they're getting ready for the NFL draft and uh, they're, uh, they, they try to project where these fellas are going to go. And you take, there's a boy 6'4 and 300 pounds, runs a four. 75, 40 bench press, 325 pounds, 30 times, they're going to say he's going to be good. You understand? I mean, it's real complicated. You know, he can bench press a house, he can run like a deer, and he's, you know, but anyhow, but you know, every year what happens, they project one that's going to be real good and he turns out to be real bad. And they've got one they project to be real bad, he turns out to be real good. And I got news for you, there's a lot of people do the same thing in church. They try to say, oh, that would be a real good one. That would be a real good one. Boy, I wish they'd get saved. They could really help the church. Uh, let me just help you with this. 
the gospel ministry is not about who can help us. It's about who can we help. Who can we reach? Who can we pull out of sin? Who can we throw out the lifeline to and help draw them into the family of God? But anyhow, the, challenge, the condition of man, the call to man, he said, verse 9, make all men to see. I don't believe in living atonement. I believe Jesus wants all men to see. Now, man, man is blinded by sin. He gropes in darkness. He cannot see the light. I believe God wants all men to see. All men to see the unsearchable riches of Christ. The call to man is this in Isaiah 45 and 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else. What's God's call to man? It's Revelations 22 and 17. Whosoever will, uh, let him take the water of life freely. I still believe that call goes out today. Amen. If you're here and you're not saved, I've got news. He wants you to see it. He wants you to see it. There's a lot of people go to church and they just can't see it. They just don't understand. They say, I just can't see it. I just can't see why. Oh, I'll tell you what you need to do is stop trying to see it and try to see Him. Amen. Uh, because once I saw Him uh, by faith, I'm not talking about it by my natural eye, but once I saw Him, all of it started making more sense. Verse 9, who created all things, which from the beginning of the world was, hath been hidden to God who created all things by Jesus Christ. The cure for man is Jesus Christ. He's the cure. He said it's been, it was hid from the beginning of the world. Now guess, listen, I, I'm, I'm about done. Yeah, I think I am. This was hid from the beginning of the world. What was hid? The unsearchable riches of Christ. The mystery. Y'all remember watching Unsolved Mysteries? Yeah, it used to creep me out. But there was mystery. In the Bible, there's several mysteries. There's the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 13. There's the mystery of godliness. Over there, 2 Timothy 2, I believe, greatest mystery of God is that God was manifest in the flesh. There's um, the mystery of the grace of God. We talk about the mystery of the church. All these, the mystery of iniquity, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And, and, and there's all these mysteries. But, but what he's talking about here is these unsearchable. And he said this was hid. It was a secret from the beginning of, from the beginning of creation of all things. Now listen. Adam and Eve didn't know. They didn't know. You say, oh, but God said Eve. Uh, you're, you're in uh, Genesis 3.15. And he's going to bruise your heel and you're going to crush your head. I got news. Eve didn't have any special. She didn't understand that more than most. She thought, okay. God didn't give her a commentary on that and elaborate to her. <laughs> she realized there was something going to happen, but she didn't know all the details. It was hid from Abraham. Now, the Bible says in Galatians, I believe, chapter 3, that the gospel was preached unto Abraham. But, but did you know, I do not believe for one second that Abraham understood all the mystery of Christ. God told David a lot of things. But David didn't even understand all this. The, the prophets, 
I mean, all the great prophets, you could go right down the list, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel and Hosea and Joel, Amos and all those men of God, they saw things off in the future. They foretold things. They, they were seers. They could see afar off. But this was hid. This truth was hid. But God chose a man named Saul who was a murderer. <laughs> and he took him down to Arabia for three years. And Brother Larry, he taught him the gospel, the grace of God down there. And he said, now you go tell it to everybody else. All I'm saying is what we have, the cure for man is Jesus Christ. It's been hid from the beginning of creation. But thank God the secrets got out now. You understand? The words done got out. Amen. He, listen, he's the cure for all men. Challenge of the mission. Look at verse 10. I want you to see the church and its ministry. Verse 10, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers of heaven, heavenly places might be known by the church. Let me just cut all this off real quick. We've got a big job as a church. I got news. We got a big job. We have a big responsibility. What is our responsibility? To make known the manifold wisdom of God to this sin-cursed world. That word manifold, it means multicolored, diverse. Amen. <laughs> I mean, it's like this. The wisdom of God, once you start digging into it, it just gets more complex and more amazing and more amazing. And, and listen, we have a job. We have a responsibility. The ministry of the church uh, is to make known the manifold wisdom of God. Now, quickly, I, I'm just going to give you this. To the intent that now under the principalities and powers, we see the prevailing of the church. You say, what do you mean? Principalities and powers, that's our enemies. That's, the, that's, that's evil Spiritual wickedness in high places, principalities and powers, that's fallen devils, fallen demons, fallen angels that are against the church, that are against you and I. That's where Paul said in uh, um, uh, 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 chapter 6 where he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers. That's what he's talking about right here. <laughs> Listen to me, what I'm saying is, by the grace of God, the church can prevail against powers and principalities. You know the church has been prevailing for 2,000 years. And listen, we how do we prevail? Uh, we make known the manifold wisdom of God. That's what we do. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but century after century, year after year, we've discovered more and more of the riches of Christ. And the devils just have to scratch their head and shake their head. And they say, how do they keep going on? How do they keep on going? We've done everything we can. We've locked them up. We've burned them at the stake. We've drowned them. We've hung them. We've persecuted them. We've tried to outlaw them. We've done everything we can, but yet here we are in 2022. Amen. On the first Sunday of February, and they're still standing and making known the multi, the manifold, our wisdom of God. I got news. And the reason we are is because we've been founded on the rock of ages. Amen. And thank God we've got divine help to prevail in what we do. Verse 11, the purpose of the church. He said, according to the eternal purpose, which is the purpose in Christ Jesus our Lord, God had a plan before this thing was ever made. You will never catch God without a plan. How many of your husbands have ever got in a pickle and your wife said, what are we going to do? You ever had that? What are we going to do now? <laughs> I have a funny story, but I'll save it for tonight. It involves Brother Gavin. 
I want to make sure he's tuned in for that. But God made plans before time began. By the way, you men better be making plans. A week from tomorrow. I'm not, I'm not giving no marriage counseling if you don't try to do something for Valentine's Day. Just don't even talk to me about it. But God had us in mind. When I say us, I'm talking about the church. The church ain't an accident. Let me help you on something. The church was planned by God. It ain't it don't whether you like it or not. It, God didn't ask you if you liked it or not. He created it. He planned it. He put it in. The, he ordained it. Amen. And uh, people say, well, I get by five without church. I don't need church. I guess you know better than God knows because God said I'm going to have a church and she's going to be my son's bride and her job is going to be make known, to make known the manifold wisdom of God and to make all men to see of the grace of the Lord. And, the other, and all I'm saying is, this, this church has got a purpose and it's an eternal purpose the power of the church is verse 12 whom we have boldness and access with the confidence by the faith in him what's the power of the church prayer I read this, this yesterday and it, it convicted my heart the man said this he said the prayerless Christian has written their declaration of independence from God by not praying, we're saying we're independent of God. We don't need God. We don't, we, we, we're, we're, we're fine, but the church's power, listen to me, I'm trying to finish, I want to finish, I've been trying to finish for 10 minutes, but the church's power is not in a large congregation, it's not in a budget, it's not in facilities, but the power of the church is when they get on their knees before God. He said that we have access, you understand, we've got access uh, into the throne of God, that throne that's enshrined in rainbow, got a rainbow uh, circling around it, protected by the cherubims of heaven. Amen. The cry, holy, 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 uh, day and night, you and I have got access to that throne. But he didn't just say access, he said we have boldness. You know what that word boldness means? Freedom, freedom of speech. You know what freedom of speech is? It's something that comes from being a citizen of a democracy. Hey, what he's saying is we can talk to God and we can tell him what's on our heart. We've got freedom of speech with the Lord. That's amazing, ain't it? How silly would it be? How, what, how do you think I'd respond? Uh, how, or, uh, let's just do this. Let's, let's just say, let's say, Brother Dylan, you've got something you want to tell Brother Mark. You've got to tell him something. And you pull up in the driveway and there's some man you've never seen. He's standing on the front porch and you walk up there and say, hey, I need to talk to my daddy. He says, well, you just tell me and I'll tell him. That ain't going to work. Why? Because that's your daddy. And you know that you've got access to him. And you've got freedom of speech with him. And I'm saying this, I'm glad I ain't got to go to a priest. Amen? I ain't got to go to a rabbi. I ain't got to go to my wife. I ain't got to go to you. I can go straight to him and tell him what's on my heart. And he said this, we have, not only do we have boldness and access, but confidence. Confidence. That means confident assurance. Now, if I were to get in my car and go to Fire Branch, Georgia and just pull down a random road, park in the driveway, walk into a random house, open the door, go inside, get a bowl, get some milk, find the cereal, pour a bowl of cereal, sit down at that table and start. Do you think I'd be able to do that confidently? I'd be, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be 
nervous. I mean, I wouldn't just go in there with Brother Justin and start getting their Mickey Mouse ears out of the refrigerator and eating them. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't just... Uh, can you imagine if I... Could you imagine if you walked in and, and you just... I'm talking about you just went into a random person's house and you just started cooking. I mean, got the pots and pans out and started putting macaroni and cheese in the microwave. And I mean, just... You know, you, you, you could do it if you're brave enough. I don't advise you do that uh, because it might be your last meal, but... But, 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 but let me ask you this. Do you think if I went to 4129 Fallen Water Court, Flag Branch, Georgia, now you know what I'd do if I'd go in there? I'd go in. I'd get whatever I wanted. Little Debbie's for days, Coca-Cola's, Snickers bars. They, I mean, they're loaded. Jackie and Mary Martin, they've got a full, full pantry all the time. And, and if I sat down in that house, do you think I'd be sitting there eating like this? I, Oh, I hope they don't see me here. I hope. No, I would have a confident assurance. Why? Because that's my father's house. And so the church can go into the presence of God with confidence. Which means we can go in there and know that's where we belong. Amen? Uh, we've been invited in. We don't have to call ahead and say, Hey, God, can I talk to you? Hey, Lord, can I have some of your time? He's already put over the door and said He's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We can go in with confidence. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. That's the prize of the church. What's the prize of the church? Glory. Glory. No matter the chains, the beatings, the imprisonments, Paul had his eyes on the prize. We're bound for glory. Do you know that? I believe in predestination. It's a Bible doctrine. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what the Bible says. And we're predestined to be glorified. That's glory. Get it? Glory? Glorified? So, the prize of the church. You see... We get so bogged down by all the things that goes on down here. But down here ain't where we're headed. This right now is just a, just a all it is is just a speck of time. It's just a little, just a little, little glimpse of time. And, and very soon, this is going to be gone. This is going to be over. And guess what? If we're saved, guess what we're going to do? We're going to inherit the glory of God and live in the presence of God. And Paul said, my present tribulation. He said, I, he said, don't worry about my present tribulations for you. He said, don't worry about my imprisonment. Don't worry about my bondage. Don't worry about my beheading. He said, I'm looking for a city, amen, whose builder and maker is God. We're going to glory one day. And it's not going to matter Hell, we got there. It's not going to matter if they cut her head off, if they, whatever. And what he was telling them is just think, just keep your mind on the prize. 